The fact that children are not being exposed to each other, are not getting outdoors as much, um, you know, this is a concern to me because I think it's putting them at risk, not just for the allergies and autoimmunity that they were already at higher risk for than, let's say, you know, my generation or the generation before mine, but also it concerns me because there are ways in which they're not their immune systems are not getting trained in this very critical window period to um, become vigilant in the way that they need to be in a positive and important way where they can fight, you know, things like cancer or, or novel organisms that they've never seen before. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. Okay, so let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Dr. Maya Shitreet. Maya is a neurologist, herbalist, urban farmer, and author of the amazing best-selling book, The Dirt Cure, Growing Healthy Kids with Food Straight from Soil. Welcome to the show, Maya. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Maya, there is so much misinformation in the world right now, obviously, with this pandemic about bacteria, viruses, and all the different uh, microbes. And really, people are thinking of microbes as the enemy. And I'd love to just hear your perspective on you know, the amazing symbiotic relationship that, you know, between microbes and humans? Well, <laughs> where to start? Um, <laughs> you know, well, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start from way back and actually um, talk for a moment about when quote unquote germs were discovered. Um, and I know we might get into this more later, but, um, you know, Louis Pasteur was, uh, the discoverer of germ theory, where there was this uh, idea that there was a microscopic organism that was laying in wait, um, you know, wherever it might be, ready to come into our bodies and multiply out of control and make us sick and possibly kill us. And at that time, when that theory became popular, um, it basically took everything to such an extreme, this idea that there were these microscopic organisms that were enemies to us, that people stopped eating things like yogurt and sourdough bread because they were considered to be contaminated. So since that time, there's been this idea that um, germs are out there ready to kill us and that there are enemies and um, we've operated as such, right? With the idea being, you know, being hygienic and sanitized is always a good thing. And in a way that's true, for example, if you are going into an operating room and one of the, you know, protective layers of your body, like your skin, your tissue, you know, are gonna be severed and they're gonna go inside for some reason, or if you're giving birth, you know, where there's sort of a breach of areas of your body that would not normally be the case, you know, you want things to be relatively 
sterile, at least what's coming into the situation, right? But um, on the other hand, it turns out what we've discovered, um, and this has been more so really in the past, well, maybe the last 20 years, but, um, you know, in the last 10 years, I would say the literature, the scientific literature has really exploded, is that we have a microbiome that lives in and on our body. And it's basically three to five pounds of microorganisms, which include bacteria, which include viruses and fungi and even parasites um, that make up part of the community that determines our health and wellness. So what we know about this microbiome is that it's in constant communication with our gut, with our immune systems, with our mitochondria. So our, within every cell of our body, we have these microorganisms wherever they may be, in our skin, in our lungs, in our nose, in our you know, gastrointestinal system, um, you know, and anywhere on our body are communicating. They're, they're, they're basically part of a, a community um, that, that is determining things from, you know, our vitamin status. So they produce actually as their byproducts, they're producing uh, like B12, you know, and vitamin K, things that are really essential for our health and well-being and our metabolic function and our nervous systems. They actually produce more neurotransmitters than our entire central nervous system, which is part of the reason that people talk about the gut as a second brain. It's not specifically just the, the gut, like the cells, the human cells of our body, but actually it's the microorganisms that are producing a lot of things like serotonin, dopamine. Um, so they're helping us to digest their, their byproducts feed, they create the food short chain chat fatty acids that feed our gut lining. So all of this to say, we're in very rich relationship with all kinds of microorganisms. And this idea that we want to be sterile in some way, or that we can stop that, um, you know, back and forth with, with the microorganisms, or even that we would want to, is a really flawed way of looking at health. Absolutely. And I know, um, I heard it reported that Pasteur on his deathbed basically said that it's not the microbe, it's the terrain. And I'd love for you to speak about the difference between germ theory versus something like terrain theory, which I think a lot of people don't know, really know about. Well, right. And I don't, you know, <laughs> I think it's a question, um, you know, that's the, that's the legend, right? That he said that. And, and I, I think it could well be true. The idea is that, you know, while Pasteur was sort of propagating very fiercely this idea of germ theory that we discussed before, um, he actually had colleagues, Claude Bernard and others, who were uh, putting forth a competing theory. And at the time, it was called cellular theory. Um, and uh, I call it terrain theory when I, <laughs> I wrote it about it in The Dirt Cure. Um, but basically, cellular theories uh, states that the we carry many organisms in our bodies just as normal, healthy individuals. 
and that what makes the difference between health and disease is the terrain of the host. So what that means is, and it sure does sound a lot like the microbiome, right? Um, that we have bacteria and viruses and fungi and parasites, but why in some people um, does it actually lead to their resilience and good health in other people? It seems to be um, make them more vulnerable to whatever organism might come their way. And the idea is, well, what's the terrain? What's the terrain of your of your body, of your even physical, emotional, mental, right? Like what are, what are, um, are, you know, do you have the, the pieces in place to be resilient? And so that depends on things like the food you're eating and your nutrition and the toxins you're exposed to and the amount of sleep you get and the kind of water you're drinking. And are you drinking water? How well you excrete um, your toxins and or your waste. Um, are you getting exercise? Are you getting out into nature? You know, there are all these different elements that make up what a healthy terrain could look like. And so in the case of, um, you know, terrain theory and why I wrote the book, The Dirt Cure, right? I said, well, the three most important things you could do for, for your health, whether you're a child, whether you're an adult, is being exposed to germs and microbes, eating fresh food from healthy soil, and getting outside into nature. And of course, we can break all of that down because they all feed this idea of having a healthy terrain so that whatever does come your way, whether it be a novel organism, whether it be strep or the flu or a toxin or an emotional stressor that you have the resilience to stay standing, you know, to not be knocked, knocked over by any of these things. Absolutely. I mean, and, and Maya, that's what I found to be so empowering about your book. I mean, the whole idea with, with this terrain theory, I mean, it's a very empowering concept that we can do something versus just sort of, you know, stay in our homes and be afraid um, of these invisible, you know, microorganisms. Um, and, you know, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about maybe some of the food strategies that, you know, you'd recommend to really, for people looking to, you know, increase the uh, strength of their inner terrain, maybe some food strategies that people can, uh, you know, get into. Absolutely. Well, so for one thing, you want to be eating nutrient dense food. That's the first most important thing. So when I talk about in the dirt cure, eating fresh food from healthy soil, you want your food to be nutrient dense and nutrient dense doesn't just mean, you know, having protein and carbohydrates and fat. I mean, you want to have an array, a good array of those different components, but you want to also have, uh, uh, and vitamins and minerals, of course, but you also want to have phytonutrients. So the things that are make your cranberries red or your grapes purple, you want to have these different kinds of phytonutrients that um, actually 
act not just as nutrients to our body, but they actually act as tiny poisons. So we hear, you know, oh, get your get your phytonutrients and these antioxidants, and we think, ooh, that's healthy. And it is healthy, but the reason that it's healthy is because uh, they come into our bodies and they and they they act as stressors to our cells and to our mitochondria. And that causes them to function more optimally. They think, oh no, there's this potential danger here. I have to really step up right now. So um, the more that we're eating you know, rich and diverse vitamins and nutrients, and the more that we're getting phytonutrients, the more we are building up not just our nutrient stores um, and all of the things that we need to regenerate and replenish and, you know, function and recover, right? But it's also that we're actually optimizing the function of of all the um, cells in our body because we're we're causing them to step up and, and function at their most optimal. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, eating a diverse diet. So that is a privilege and a luxury that not everybody has, but uh, to the extent that we do have that luxury, many people are not eating a very diverse diet. And, you know, sometimes that's because we just kind of get into grooves or it's things that we like, or it, you know, um, we just, we don't know about other foods or we just don't think about eating diverse foods. But what's really important, one of the most important things that you can do to have a really healthy, well-nourished and diverse microbiome is to eat a diverse diet. So you want to eat, uh, you know, all the colors of the rainbow, for example, in your, you know, vegetables, your fruit, you want to have a real array of different kinds of foods, um, which will nourish and attract and make your gut a receptive home for a lot of different kinds of diverse organisms. And of course, why you want diverse organisms is because the more different kinds of organisms exist in your microbiome, the less likely it is that any one microbe will grow out of control. It's a checks and balances system. So um, that's a really, really important component of a healthy diet um, and building up the terrain is first making sure you're eating really nutrient-dense food. And what I want to mention about that also is um, wild foods. You know, the, the, the more quickly you eat your food after it's picked is one way to make sure you're optimizing the nutrition of that food. So if you gross even anything in your garden, just one plant, just a basil plant, right? Or, or just a tomato plant. Um, the sooner you eat that after you harvest it, the more nutrient dense it is, the fresher it is. And of course, anyone who's eaten something from a farmer's market, forget about just straight from your garden, you know that tastes completely different than the thing that you're eating in the grocery store. It's like a whole a whole different food. So um, that's eating the nutrient dense food and then making sure that you're getting um, an array, diverse, different kinds of foods. So you're covering all the different kinds of nutrients you need and feeding your diverse microbiome. The third thing is um, really to be eating organic or biodynamic when possible. So uh, the reason for that is that a lot of common crops are sprayed with pesticides. 
um, or pesticides are applied sometimes several times. Something like a strawberry might have over 200 different kinds of pesticides applied to it over the course of its growth, just for instance. Um, but a very common uh, pesticide is actually Roundup or glyphosate. And that has been shown to cause a lot of different possible health problems. It's actually uh, cancer causing. It can affect neurologic issues. Um, I wrote about this at length in my book with a lot of references. And um, the important point also is that glyphosate was initially way, way, way back when um, patented as an antibiotic. So every time you're eating something that has traces of glyphosate, and of course, things like wheat are very high in glyphosate, soy, um, corn, wheat in particular, it's applied at the very, very end, um, right basically as the plant is dying to kind of uh, instigate the wheat to release all the seeds, right? To release all the the, so that they get a bigger harvest. And so there are a lot, there's a um, much higher concentration of trace glyphosate on wheat, just as an example, because it's applied so close to the end. But what, what all of that means is basically you don't want to be exposed to these kinds of chemicals as much as possible. And of course, we're exposed to it because in a lot of places, parks, you know, and people's garden, people's yards and your neighbor's yard and, you know, the school um, fields are, are sprayed with Roundup. But to the extent it's possible to limit your exposure, that's ideal. So that's another thing I would I would say. And then um, the the fourth thing I would say is healthy fats and um, healthy fats, especially I'm going to I'm going to put a spotlight on eggs and egg yolks in particular. And the reason why is because I think of egg yolks as like liquid gold and I'm bringing up eggs, especially because um, people think egg yolks still are, are bad. I still have people who come to me sometimes and say, we have egg white omelets. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing particularly bad about having egg whites. It's just that egg yolks are like, you're missing out. You're like getting rid of of actually the most nutrient dense part of the egg. Um, you have choline in the egg, which helps you detoxify. Um, it's important for brain health and function. In um, some studies that were done looking at choline, when it was given to pregnant rats, uh, the researchers could determine which babies, which pups had, had mothers who got choline versus those who didn't because they were so much smarter that they were able to actually mm. pick them out. And it wasn't just when they were young, they were able, able to pick them out throughout their lives. They were smarter throughout their lives. So choline is excellent for um, neurological health and for epigenetic health, for uh, basically taking good care of your genes. If we wanna go into epigenetics more, we can. But um, choline is a, is a really important component of um, egg yolks. And if they have cholesterol, and although we think of cholesterol as being bad also, similarly, right, that it's this kind of evil food, it, it's actually not cholesterol that's bad for you. Um, it's oxidized cholesterol. So a lot of the studies that were done on cholesterol show that cholesterol, um, that eggs are were bad, but they were using powdered eggs. And powdered eggs, um, powdering them makes them oxidized. You have to 
uh, heat them very, very, very high. And it actually changes the structure of that cholesterol uh, for the worse, and it can cause problems in your body. But most, you know, fresh eggs do not have that issue. And there have been many other studies. Again, I go into this in great depth in the dirt cure, but there have been many studies that actually show that um, eating an egg, you know, five times a week is actually helpful to your health. It's actually positive, has a positive impact, whereas having no eggs had a negative impact. And that um, is partly because of cholesterol. And when it comes to immunity in particular, it turns out there was a huge study done on over 60,000 people um, looking at um, cholesterol levels. And what they found was that people were more likely to die of either a respiratory reason or a gastrointestinal infection if they had low cholesterol. Not high, but low cholesterol was linked <laughs> with um, uh, the increased risk of death. So it's actually um, really interesting that it turns out cholesterol is very important for our immune system and functioning immune system, also for our nervous system. Cholesterol concentrates in the brain, particularly in the developing brain, but in anybody's brain. Cholesterol is a very important component of our cell membranes. It makes them stiff. You want them to be in balance with essential fatty acids like omega-3s and omega-6s, also found in eggs, by the way, that um, especially if they're pastured from pastured chickens, um, that kind of balance the stiffness with the fluidity. And something that I think is really interesting about cholesterol is that... Um, it actually is lower in people who um, have aggressive behavior, violent behavior, suicide completers, all have lower cholesterol. So um, there is something to be said for having uh, reasonable amounts of healthy cholesterol. And so for me, eggs, pastured eggs are a very important part of a uh you know, protective diet and a diet that nourishes the terrain. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I was reading before in um, Dr. Natasha Campbell, one of her books, McBride, um, she was saying that prior to antibiotics, if someone had tuberculosis, they were treated with a combination of a raw egg yolk and fresh cream. So that, yeah, that there actually there were, um, it was a milk program. There was raw, raw milk was a treatment for tuberculosis and sunshine. And so <laughs> even still where I trained in, um, I trained partly at a city hospital when I did my neurology training and, um, there's, you know, there's a, an old building there, um, that's had balconies on it that they use now for research, but um, it, it was actually their, their TB ward was, um, and the people would go and sun on the balconies, um, as part of their treatment. And it was of course, not just for vitamin D. I mean, we now know, and this is actually another important component of, um, you know, having a healthy immune system and, and, and the dirt cure, right. Is it's not just vitamin D. People talk about, oh, I'm going to go outside and get my vitamin D. Well, yes, you do get vitamin D from the sun, and that is incredibly important. We know that vitamin D uh, turns on over 100 gene transcription factors related to the immune system. Vitamin D, by the way, is also found in pastured eggs and cream. 
Um, it's in fat. It's a fat soluble vitamin. But in addition to that, there's a whole spectrum of light, which it feeds us, nourishes us um, in very particular ways. And I mean, this we could geek out about for a long time, but I'm going to suffice it to say that um, this full spectrum of light is incredibly important for our health and well-being and uh, particularly for our immune systems. And there's tremendous amount of literature, including a study that was done um, by the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, which is, uh, you know, the institute that that confers the Nobel Prize. And what they found um, in studying, I want to say it was 35,000 women over like uh, a couple of decades. And they found that women who assiduously avoided the sun were um, twice as likely to die of any reason as women who didn't. And they found that the risk was akin to smoking cigarettes. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, that's so, wild. That uh, doesn't convince people to, you know, that sunshine is important. I don't know what, <laughs> we're, you know. Right, right. Well, it's interesting, Maya, because I know having, you know, interviewed you for the last movie we did and we 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 went to your office and I know part of your your protocol as a, as a neurologist, a pediatric is you'll take, you'll take patients outside to meet your chickens in the backyard and see the herbal garden. So, I mean, I guess you're just speaking to this, but you know, I was going to ask you why is mother nature such good medicine, but I guess you're kind of speaking to how, I mean, just, you know, it's huge. I mean, it's, you know, I think it's so much richer even than, you know, sunshine or, I mean, so for one thing, we know that soil is probably one of the most biodiverse uh, probiotics, right? Everyone talks now about taking probiotics, um, which are, you know, pills that have, you know, whatever number of uh, colony forming units of bacteria in them to help feed our guts, the bacteria and the microbiome in our guts. Um, soil is so diverse that one teaspoon of soil has more organisms than there are people on the planet. So we have this really profound experience of um, constant contact with all different kinds of organisms um, that can benefit us. We get the sunshine and the light, um, but there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, you know, we're nourished visually. I think a lot of people don't realize that um, we are nourished um, in terms of sound, what we're hearing, and we're attuned evolutionarily attuned to this kind of nourishment that nature offers us visually and, and from an audio, you know, an audio perspective. And even, you know, we know now that, um, we all have electromagnetic fields, which are measurable. And, you know, the HeartMath Institute has done incredible research on this over the last couple of decades, published peer reviewed, uh, papers have been published that, look at this measurable electromagnetic field and, um, everything has an electromagnetic field. So we do, you know, our partners and spouses and our pets and animals outside and trees and stones all have electromagnetic fields. And so when we go outside, we are aligning with the electromagnetic fields of what's around us. And so for people who feel so good, so calm, you know, when they go out into nature, 
there are a lot of reasons for that. There's the sounds, there's the, you know, visuals, there's the smells, you know, what's going into our, our, um, our amygdala and kind of basically like activating certain kinds of memories that are probably very ancient memories, you know, that we've, that are like evolved, we've evolved to have over time because our relationship with nature is, you know, eternal really. And then we have these electromagnetic fields, which are aligning with the forest, let's say, or with the ocean and the beach and the water. And of course we do know as well that the earth has an electromagnetic field and it, it emits basically infinite amounts of electrons. So there's a whole science on earthing or grounding. And, um, you know, so people will talk about walking barefoot, which is one way that you can do that. You can also just sit, you know, with your butt on the ground or on a rock or lean against a tree or hug a tree, which I always recommend doing. And, um, and, uh, or you can walk outside, not barefoot, but wearing, um, like something that has a conductive sole. So not rubber soled shoes, but like leather soled or hemp soled or cotton soled shoes or whatever, then that's conductive. And basically what you're doing is you're receiving this flow of electrons from the earth's electromagnetic field. And what that does is it neutralizes, um, free radicals that are in your body and free radicals are kind of these, um, they're, they're metabolic byproducts. We all have them. Some of us have more. If you're very inflamed, um, in a, especially in a chronic way, you have many more free radicals. And what they do is they're kind of these like loose cannons that go around and, um, bind onto things because they're very reactive. Um, and, they can actually damage our cell membranes and they can cause a lot of disruption. But what happens when we have these electrons kind of flowing in our into our bodies, into our systems, is they neutralize those free radicals, which helps neutralize inflammation and, and mitigate cell damage, cell membrane damage. So, um, you know, it's, it's really the, the number of benefits that we have from being in contact with nature is infinite. And, you know, in my institute, in the Terrain Institute, I, I train people um, in all the different ways that we can work with the earth to um, really be an optimal health, but, but more than that, to be an optimal physical, emotional, and spiritual health and ecological health. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, I got to ask you, having written the, the book, literally the dirt cure, um, you know, we're just like at an epic level of, I guess I would say cleanliness. And I went to a restaurant the other day and they, um, one of the waitresses literally had a, basically I, I could only describe it as like a gun sort of shooting the table with, um, sanitizer or whatnot. But, um, you know, what is the, what is the problem with being too clean, Maya? Well, I think there's a problem with being too clean. And then there's a problem with what we're doing, which is more than being too clean. It's a whole different level. So being too clean, you know, basically we, we thought, right. That being sanitized was, was, uh, what we needed for optimal health. And actually it's the opposite, you know, it's being dirty. And I say that because for example, I'll give some examples of this is, um, we know that like people who, uh, have pets. Okay. Growing up, especially when they're very young are more likely to have healthy, balanced immune systems, not to have allergies or asthma as they get older, 
partly because there's a shared microbiome with their pets. So they get a more diverse microbiome. And I'm sure there could be many other reasons as well, but that is at least one of the reasons. Um, people who grow up in homes where you use a sponge rather than using a dishwasher have fewer allergies. Why? Because uh, again, you're getting more diverse organisms from using sponges than using a dishwasher. Um, children who are in uh, schools or houses, and this was a study published probably five or six years ago, came out in Europe, um, children who are in schools or houses where they use a, a copious amount of bleach are more likely, not less, but more likely to have chronic bronchial issues and infections over the course of that period of time. So what we're understanding is, first of all, that our bodies need or these organisms. We need constant exposure to them. We're intended to be exposed to them. If you think about that for the most of the history of time, people have spent a lot more time outdoors. They even had dirt floors in their homes. Um, you know, they were farming, they were gardening, they were growing, and here we are all indoors, 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 all the time. Um, just as a matter of course, you know, what's happening in the world and pandemics notwithstanding. But then, so that's that's already to start with, we were already kind of in this too clean environment, but now we've done something different where we actually are applying tremendous amounts of bleach and hand sanitizer, we're wearing masks, um, even, you know, it's, it's one thing if you are concerned in a group of, you know, people and you're in kind of in a close quarters or whatever, but this is a whole different level of, I'm seeing people in the woods walking alone with their dog and, you know, there are woods by my house and I, and I go trail running there and people where it's very possible to distance where it's, nobody has to come close to anybody else ever in these woods. I see people just walking with masks on. Um, so they're not breathing in, you know, the fresh air. They're not um, getting the sun on their face. They're what little sun we get in the winter time, but you know, or any time of year, um, they're, they're not getting the same uh, exposure to the organisms. So they're, they're not getting a lot of the benefits that they would otherwise be getting. And they don't have even any argument to make they're fully alone, you know, right. just walking outdoors. So this is like, and, and then of course people are staying indoors more. They're not going to the beach or they can't because beaches are closed. They're not out, you know, hiking on trails. If those parks or places are closed. And so it's, it's like, we're actually, um, in a way shooting ourselves in the foot, um, because this is actually incredibly weakening to our immune systems. We're actually doing things that are actively suppressing our immunity. Um, and, you know, my concern is, to be honest, I haven't really talked about this too much, but um, we know that organisms train children's immune systems to be more resilient and healthier and not just healthier, but actually uh, a lot of infections help train the immune system to recognize even other kinds of dangers like cancer. So we all make cancer cells in our body at some rate. And you're are at all the time. It's a normal thing to sometimes have like, you know, weird wonky cells. And our, the job of our immune systems is to always be vigilant, especially our nonspecific immune systems, um, 
to always be vigilant and to just identify things that could that look wonky, right? Like a cancer cell, for instance. And and basically, if your immune system is in balance and doing a, a decent job or hopefully a very good job, it's going to get them. It's just going to like say, nope, nope, nope. And it's going to just vanquish those cells. But the problem is that part of how our immune systems learn that is through actually getting sick sometimes, right? Getting, or at least getting exposed and learning from the experience. So, you know, the fact that children are not being exposed to each other, are not getting outdoors as much, um, you know, this is a concern to me because I think it's putting them at risk, not just for the allergies and autoimmunity that they were already at higher risk for than let's say, you know, my generation or the generation before mine, but also it concerns me because there are ways in which they're not, their immune systems are not getting trained in this very critical window period to um, become vigilant in the way that they need to be in a positive and important way where they can fight, you know, things like cancer or, or novel organisms that they've never seen before. Part of how you do that is by having practice, right? And um, just like if you want to, you know, play the violin, <laughs> um, you have to practice. And if if you're never allowed to practice because your violin is, you know, behind a, a plastic wall, you know, or in another room or put in the closet, so you never get any exposure to your violin, um, then, you know, obviously you're not going to be very good when the time comes to step on the stage and play your concerto, you know? So, um, I'm concerned, actually, that we're not just in a place of being too clean, but we're in a place where we're going so far beyond what, um, you know, what children in particular, but really all of us need, which is to have exposure to diverse organisms. And even if we're saying, well, we don't want to, you know, be near to other people for various reasons, certainly being out in nature and getting that exposure, you know, being exposed to trees and plants and the forest and, you know, those things, that's critically important and sunshine. That's great. For anyone listening who's feeling a little powerless, hopeless about their life and their future, you know, if they were sitting with you right now, what might be one thing that, that they could do today to, to maybe help them make a change and take their life in a new direction? First of all, I always think starting with um, just getting into that place of appreciation and gratitude for what we do have is a really important practice. And I don't in any way diminish that, you know, we can be going through really, really hard times. Um, but part of what I teach in my work is to, is really how to find joy in challenging times and how to how to navigate unknown terrain, really. And so um, one of the practices that is really, really critical for that is choosing to find joy, even when we can acknowledge that things are really, really difficult to just find even the one thing, which is like, I'm, you know, I'm alive to see another day, or I'm breathing right now, or I have my health or whatever it can be. Um, and I think also just being in nature, just, you know, taking a few moments to just get out into, into nature is something which is incredibly grounding, centering, and also 
gives you opportunities to just find those moments of wonder and awe. And I think that those, the same way that we might talk about, um, you know, nutrients and nutrient dense food and things like that as being nourishment for our bodies, to me being with plants and wild animals and water and wind and sun in sky, you know, that's nourishment for our souls. So that wonder and awe is like nourishment for our souls. Maya, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time 40 years or so, what words of wisdom might your current self share with your younger self? <laughs> um, well, I would have been a pretty young child then. And uh, I think, you know, what I probably would have told myself is um, to be authentic, not to worry about pleasing other people but to make sure that I really stayed in touch and attuned to the gifts that I have to bring to the world um, and not to let the mainstream narrative or, or any other, you know, reasons interfere with that. Great. What's the best way for people to find more out about you and your work? So the best place to go is to my website, which is just drmaya.com, D-R-M-A-Y-A.com. And there they can find out about uh, the Terrain Institute, my certification program, and I teach people also herbalism. And I have a class on psychedelics for mental health and um, some other great programs and offerings. Um, and then they can find also about my book, The Dirt Cure. Maya, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.